0: charged me with resisting arrest.
1: So- Get that yeah! confidence in jail.
0: I have checked. Hello, Patriots, and welcome back to another episode of Allegedly Bravo. I'm Cash. And I'm Lauren. How are you? Oh, I'm fabulous, because today is going to be a wonderful episode. We have a guest, very prestigious guest, I would say. I mean, the most prestigious guest I think we've <laughs> ever had. Most prestigious, and I, well, I mean, second guest we've ever had. Yeah, but you know what? And classic Sky Tops was great too. Like great, great. great. Yeah. And you know what? I guess we really bring in the experts to talk about medical stuff because classic Sky Tops talked about medical... that's true. Well, because we don't know anything. Nothing. I mean, We're I are a little, little bit of experience in the medical medical malpractice world, but our, our guest today is Kelly. He's been an attorney for 28 years, He's taken over 30 plus cases to trial and has handled over 50 medical malpractice cases. We will get to know Kelly a little bit later in the episode, because today you want to tell everybody, Lauren, what we're talking about. Oh
1: my God. I'm so excited. We're talking about Dr. Terry Dubrow. And I have to say, we're going to take the Dubrow's down. No, I'm just kidding. We're absolutely not going to take the Dubrow's down, but we're going to talk about them.
0: Yes. And just a friendly reminder, as always, this episode in no way constitutes legal advice. And this podcast is just a recitation really of the facts that we pulled from multiple complaints. Um, and in no way is it asserting any wrongdoing against Mr. Terry to bro. Right. But we are going to get down to the nitty gritty of it all because there are more than just the Nicole Weiss medical malpractice lawsuit floating out there. There are bad titties and missing belly
1: buttons scattered about orange County
0: and saggy booties. Like there's saggy
1: booties. It's not all just like fun and (laughs) games and cat ladies out
0: there. No, no. It's wild. Okay. So let's, let's get into it. Let's just do briefly, like a little bit of a background. If you want to hop in on, uh, or talk about just Dubrow's medical history, educational background. Okay. So, um, Dr.
1: Terry Dubrow, he's a doctor, received his medical degree from the UCLA School of Medicine in 1986, which I don't know why that felt a long time ago to me. I don't know. I just do don't, don't offend our guest. No, I just, our guest. I'm i not trying to offend our guest. I'm just saying like because of Terry and I don't know. I mean, his kids are just so young. Like I just kind of expected. I don't know. I mean,
0: I don't he's know. Doc- he is a doctor. He put his education first. So that's
1: true. Um, he has a master's degree from Yale and what unsure, um, <laughs> he was the chief resident at the Harbor UCLA medical center, which did you ever watch gray's anatomy? Yes. Uh, yeah. It's like the chief, right? Yes. Like the guy in charge. Yeah. Um, okay. And then he's also like, He participated in the Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Fellowship at UCLA Medical Center. And like while we're here, we have to toot Terry's horn because when accolades come, we have to share them. He submitted over 30 papers in peer-reviewed journals, like the Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal and the American Journal of Surgery and the Journal of Surgical Research. And he co-authored a book called... Oh, nobody read it. And it's called... (laughs) The acne cure,
0: you know, and that is an important topic to to talk about. As you know, we've all been prepubescent at one time and suffered from a pimple or two.
1: And you know what? Some of us are full blown thirty, almost thirty one year olds suffering from extreme cases of adult acne. So, um,
0: <laughs> might have to buy love, that.
1: I would love to get my fingers on that book. Um, might,
0: maybe a Christmas present.
1: Yeah, hello, I'm going to tell my boyfriend. Um, Okay, and he's a board certified plastic surgeon, which is very important to be certified by the board. And the most important part, and the only reason why we really even care about this man is because he is the husband of
0: one Heather Dubrow. You know, and I recently heard somebody describe Heather Dubrow and watch what happens live as the villain. I And that is the only way I can think of her now. And these two are diabolical, diabolical. We're going to go, not only is his medical and educational history rather important. I mean, he is very, very educated, extremely smart, but housewives of orange County was not his first experience in the reality TV game. No, 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 no. He participated in the Swan, which was in 2004. Do you remember how dramatic that show was I
1: literally watched almost all of these shows except for any of the botched and I loved
0: them they They were fucked up though they would take the most horrendous people (laughs) give them the most insane plastic surgery and then just push them back out into society with no therapy or anything and now these people it's true and there was a lot of backlash from that show because of the the mental issues people suffered after going on it but anyway shit and then he was in Bridal Plasty in 2010. He was in another show called Good Work. He was in the most popular, which is Botched. He had bo- Botched Post Op and Botched by Nature, which is kind of a fucked up title. I know. It's like,
1: oh, you were born ugly. Like, okay, fuck you, Terry. Like, Here, can't we yeah.
0: lie? <laughs> you were born ugly, and please come on the show. And you're not going to be paid for any of it, and right. you will be made fun of and be a laughing stock. Right. Exactly. But you may get a new nose. Meh. Um. And then he was in license to kill. And of course, he was on Real Housewives of Orange County. And then he made he made other appearances on Dr. Phil, the Kelly Clarkson show, and Doctors. So it's it's just something I'm really fascinated by is why was somebody that why how somebody so intelligent would then shift and join the reality TV game.
1: You know, and I'm just gonna turn that right back around on us and say like we're very intelligent and here we are talking shit about these people. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know maybe drugs I'm not sure why anyway? Definitely the same thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah okay well let's get into it we are going to introduce our guests. Kelly are you there? I'm here. Hi Kelly.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. I mean really. Is there this is something you can add to your resume? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> legal legal analysis and comment commenting on things a lot of people don't care about, but you know what our viewers and listeners sure do. <laughs>
2: well, as long as if the need arises you can photoshop a bag over my head later, it will be fine. <laughs>
1: Over we'll your- just black out your square <laughs> photo <fine>. unavailable okay <laughs> censored
0: okay so before we get into the meat and potatoes of terry dubrow we want to learn a little bit more about you so one of the most important questions you know we have to ask any guest is have you ever watched an episode of real housewives like do you know anything about it
2: i'm only aware that the shows exist i've not watched them
0: Ooh, that's so fun that's great this is gonna <laughs> wow so you don't know who terry Bro is
2: Oh, the only Dubrow I ever heard of was from uh, Quiet Riot back in the You 80s. know, that's his brother. I did not know that.
0: Yep, that's Terry Dubro's
1: brother. Shut up. Bible, swear.
0: Well, you, you like know that? what? There you go, Kelly. It's a quasi-connection. All roads yeah. lead
1: back to Bravo.
0: <laughs> okay, so some of you may be thinking, why the hell is Kelly here? Kelly and I were <laughs> colleagues at one point. He was my mentor, my boss. And so can you briefly describe your work history specifically as it relates to medical malpractice?
2: Sure. I graduated law school in 1993, I bounced around in the Bay Area for a while, came up to Reading. We had a, um, a partner at the time who already represented a, um, a, a non-for-profit organization of hospitals. There are three of them in this area, so we would represent them if uh, medical malpractice claims were brought against any of them.
0: So, we, so it would be the hospitals, not doctors or nurses or anyone like that.
2: So we so in these particular hospitals, and this is quite common, doctors are not employees. Doctors are typically part of groups. For example, a radiology group would have the radiologist that would then contract with a hospital to provide those services. Same thing you would see in the emergency room. And then, of course, if a doctor like the one you're describing simply needs a facility to do surgeries in, there would be no... Necessary affiliation with the facility, but on almost all cases where someone sues a doctor, they also throw in everybody else, the the hospital or facility where the procedure was done, who then is most likely the employer of the nurses. So the nurses all fall within the representation of the hospital. So I represent basically nurses and other non-physician defendants.
0: So, in a case like this, where you have a, like plastic surgeons, a lot of them don't have operating rooms, correct? In their in their office spaces.
2: My understanding is the only physician who owns his own hospital is a physician who runs a hospital here in Reading. Mm. He's the only one in the state. So, yeah, they would simply, they would simply contract to utilize facilities, and the and the facilities would charge the patient, and that can be very lucrative, depending on whether um, you're talking about. Uh, procedures being done where you're accepting low end payment, like on Medi-Cal, which is pennies on the dollar, Blue Cross or a relatively good insurance company will pay you more. But if you're doing it for wealthy patients who will pay whatever you charge them, of course, that's very lucrative. And in the litigation world, oftentimes plans counsel will arrange for procedures to be done on a lean basis, meaning theoretically, if the patient if the plaintiff succeeds in his or her lawsuit, that facility will get a hundred cents on the dollar as well. But that's almost always negotiated with the plaintiff's lawyer to to a lesser number.
0: That could be one of the smartest things anybody's ever said on this podcast. Yeah.
1: (laughs) My mind is blown. (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) Okay. So let's get in. So how many, what would you say is the number, you, you know, you, we said that you've done over about, you've handled about 50 plus cases with regards to medical malpractice. How many of those have gone to trial? How often are they settled?
2: Yeah, most of, most of all civil cases settle, but there's a complication in medical cases, two complications. The first one is MICRA, which is a limitation on general damages in the state of California to 250,000, which makes a lot of them really not that lucrative for plans counsel because um, that's not a whole lot to divide you know, take 40% of the other complication is doctors have um, almost always have the right with their insurance company uh, of consent, meaning even though the money comes from the insurance company, they won't, they have to give consent before any amount will be paid. And the reason they withhold consent regularly is if if there's any settlement over a certain dollar figure that gets reported to the medical board. And then the medical board Can look in on whether or not there needs to be potentially investigation for discipline, which could lead to suspension or uh, you know, pulling of their medical license. So they're very reluctant to settle cases, even if you know there's evidence in support of a of a breach of the standard of care, because they don't want to be in front of the medical board, which could be very problematic for doctors.
0: Isn't it a specific a specific find a specific number? Like it's, isn't it like over 11,000 or something 30, or 30,000? 30, 30, so that's why people generally settle for 29,999. Correct. If they can, if they can. Okay. Hmm. Now, I not know every
2: that. not every settlement gets you, you know, dragged in front of the medical board, but they're, it's out there. They, they don't like it.
0: Wow. Okay. okay so we do, really quickly, we do have a, we'll have a follow-up to that question later that we got from one of our followers. So we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um,
1: okay, so you talked about like uh, kind of a little bit about their duty and their breach. So that's we're talking about kind of professional negligence here. I'm guessing with medical malpractice, and um, can you just like kind of talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So in in normal civil litigation, let's say a car crash,
1: mm-hmm. the
2: standard the standard is simply a reasonable person standard. Were you acting as a reasonable person? However, in the medical field, as with any professional, it's the standard's a little different where it's whether you are acting as a reasonably competent professional of like uh, type, surgeon, doctor, nurse, whatever it may be, in the context of the care you provide. And the the other challenge there is because regular jurors don't know what a doctor is supposed to do under certain circumstances, the only way that you can prove that there was a breach of that applicable standard of care is through expert testimony. Mm. So if you have an expert, that's no good. And I've managed to throw one out once before your case goes right out the door. So uh, the plaintiff's Ooh. plaintiff's counsel have to come up with a good expert who can come in and give an opinion that mm-hmm. that, that professional did not meet their standard of care.
0: And can you briefly talk about how expensive expert witnesses are?
2: Well, expert, expert fees uh, run the gamut, but obviously the most expensive are physicians, particularly surgeons. And then if you get into higher specialties, like neurosurgeons, it's uh, through the roof. I mean, it could be $10,000 an hour. Oh I mean, most God. of them are in the, most are in the thousands and they'll have minimum hours.
1: Right. They to require review, for, research for dep- hours.
2: Well, like if, you know, two hours minimum for a deposition, they want a full day or half day to testify, which could be 10 or $20,000 they are very, very expensive. But like I mentioned, you, you really can't live without them. Wow.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. Finding Ruby is the incredible true story of a 16 year old tricked by a seemingly innocent Facebook message. A message that would lead her
2: from the protection of the mountains to the nightmare of an online trafficking den.
0: Her first message to me was like, Hi, are you looking for a job?
2: Ruby is hidden from the world, from everyone except her
0: abusers. But she isn't alone. There is a team of people looking for her and they will stop at nothing to find her. This isn't just the fight of her life. It's their fight too. Search for finding
1: Ruby today. That's crazy too because you kind of said that the max that people can recover is um what did you say? 250,000?
2: So, so that's that's for general damages and mm-hmm. as, as we all three know Special damages are, are what you would have to pay, so to speak, out of pocket that you could put on a blackboard such as loss earnings, lost future earnings, medical care paid to date and future medical care. So if you have a bad case where someone's going to need nursing care for the rest of their lives and they're 30 years old, that we are in the millions there. So those cases mm-hmm. are quite lucrative for lawyers. But if you're talking to somebody, let, let's say in one of these cases, who goes in and um, has a rhinoplasty that they don't like the outcome for and they feel upset and they're humiliated and they're la 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 la. 250 is all they're ever going to get for those types of general damage injuries pain and suffering if they yeah they have a they need a replacement surgery or revision surgery sure they can throw that on there too but that 250 Mm -hmm. even though you know i'm sure some of these people say my my suffering is worth a million dollars you may feel that way but you can't have it
0: yeah so why in california do we put caps on damages like that
2: Well, micro was passed, I think, back in the '70s. So that was a lot more money then than it is now. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that doctors were paying uh, such high insurance premiums, and the risk was so variable. Like you could have one jury in LA who would find that someone's entitled to ten million, and a jury in Placer County would would give them thirty thousand. That it was they're running doctors out of state. So Mm -hmm. it was basically a a compromise uh, to. Allow plaintiffs to recover or seek to recover a certain amount, but capped it so that insurance premiums could level out and doctors could profitably, you know, stay in the state and provide care.
0: Hmm. Wow, you are just a wealth of knowledge, Kelly. <laughs> I'm <laughs> waiting so,
2: for I'm waiting well, for the, the the cash eye roll as I forward. <laughs> go,
0: which I'm I've sure you'll get there. <laughs> I, I've seen
2: it many, many times.
0: Hey, uh, whoa, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Don't throw me under the bus here. (laughs) Two against one. Um, okay, so we've briefly talked about, you know, generally who can be sued in men mal cases. So it it could be doctors, nurses, the hospital, like the facility. Generally, who is the primary person that's named in a medical malpractice case?
2: Well, it's almost certainly the physicians are the main targets, but um let's say, for example, you have uh, a, a catastrophic injury case where there's going to be long-term uh, need for 24-hour care and we're, and someone, a plaintiff's counsel can blackboard, let's say, $8 million or more, right? Well, the doctors almost certainly are going to have an insurance policy of a million, maybe $2 million max. So even if, it's, so in, in the law, if you go to trial and even if you are found 1% liable, uh, each defendant has at least 1% liability is jointly and severally responsible for all special damages that have to be paid so since those types of damages are special damages you could go Mm -hmm. in and say look uh the doctor doesn't work for us the nurse didn't do anything wrong but the plaintiff's lawyer is going to argue yeah yeah they could have they could have done something and let's say the hospital gets one percent five percent ten percent okay the doctor says here's my million you got the other seven so uh, that's why they're always going to well, unless it's a very modest case they're almost always going to name the facility the nurses anyone else that they think they can tap for additional insurance mm-hmm. uh, and as as you can imagine a hospital a hospital group a chain is going to have vastly more insurance coverage than a doctor's going to have
0: do you remember that one that we had to deal with where they left the instrument or the sponges in the person
2: <gasps> we, we've had that 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 type of thing happen a few times
0: Yeah. So is this very common, like that,
1: that this, that these lawsuits come about from things being left in people or.
2: Well, sad to say it's not, I mean, happily, it's not common, but it's, even though there are a lot of procedures that the nurses and the doctors try to follow it, it, it does occasionally happen because oftentimes you'll have a surgeon who has six surgeries scheduled, one after the other in the same surgical suite on a given day starting at 6 Mm a.m. And you have, it it may be different now, but in that particular case, they had these um, hanging sheets with pockets on them, almost like some people have behind their doors in their dorm rooms that they stuff their socks and things into. And you would put, put the sponges in there to keep a sponge cap going. And they also have sponges that have uh, radiographic material. And so you can run a portable X-ray and detect that there's still, in- there are a lot of things that can be done to keep this wow. from happening, but sometimes it still does happen.
1: It'll sneak in there.
2: <laughs> and the problem is that any, any foreign material in the body has a tendency to, uh, inhibit healing and it can be a, a source of a pernicious infection because you can run antibiotics through your bloodstream, but you can't get into this foreign material. So right. you'll have people just ongoing. Sepsis, um, right? it could lead to sepsis if it gets in the bloodstream. So, so inevitably someone has to go back in there, dig the sponge out. And anytime Mm -hmm. you're, anytime you're opened up, you're running the risk Mm -hmm. of complications. So it's not a good thing to have any, any foreign material in the body.
0: god! Also Ah. trigger, trigger warning. We will be talking about graphic (laughs) medical (laughs) procedures. (laughs) I'll put it in the description. (laughs) So Kelly, in your experience, where have you seen the most or who do you see generally being sued the most with med mal like OBGYNs, plastic surgeons er doctors regular so physicians so
2: the, the hospitals i represent are
0: uh, trauma center
2: hospitals so you so you'll oftentimes see it in emergency rooms where they'll claim that something wasn't diagnosed in a timely fashion um anytime you have not anytime but oftentimes if someone has a complicated surgery like a neurosurgery where, you know, you've got pain in your spine and they go in, that's a very delicate surgery. And even if it's done brilliantly, it, it, it sometimes doesn't help. Sometimes it hurts. Uh, the person that doesn't have a good outcome. So those will very commonly be, be, uh, be filed. Um, I haven't, I don't personally get into um, uh, traumatic, traumatic, uh, and catastrophic birth defect injury cases. That's a those real real specific specialty. And there are great, mm-hmm. great lawyers who do almost nothing else. And there's a very aggressive plaintiff's bar that handle those cases too. So that's a real specialized kind of practice that I, I don't get into.
0: One of my professors in law school, I took a medical malpractice class and he was a defendant. He worked for a defendant's firm, but he would deal with the OBGYN stuff. Mm-hmm. He would have some gnarly stories. That's sad. With millions and millions and millions of dollars in terms of settlement and annuity plans, right? That they set up for victims that have suffered. What is it like a long-term plan, right? Where it's a bank account that people can set up, a la Tom Girardi. Yeah.
1: Ooh.
2: Per- particularly if you're dealing with with any any minor, they have to have a minor's compromise where a judge oversees how that settlement money is going to be. Mm-hmm handled who's going to be handling it what's it going to be used for they're really strict to, to make sure that you know mom and dad don't uh, buy Go that new it. rv with yeah. baby's uh, baby's uh, uh, therapy money
0: yeah wait really quickly before we get into terry dubrow i lauren just brought up tom girardi do you know who he is we'll be back after a quick break I'm Shannon Jimenez-Sassone, a former NYPD misconduct investigator, a podcaster, and a videographer. I'm
1: Nat W. I've been a social worker for a hot
0: minute. Working alongside the police left us with more doubt than encouragement. Uh, We've tried in our career fields to be doers, and it still feels impossible. Is it even possible to work alongside the police and not be part of the police state? Fixing it does start with having the conversations. It's everything that you should know about the police. It's going to be a hard conversation, but it's a hard topic. Not an Arc podcast premieres Tuesday, January 17th on all streaming platforms.
2: Uh, the name is vaguely familiar. Is that also someone who uh, has been on one of these shows?
0: His wife is Eric. Well, ex-wife, soon to be ex-wife is Erica Girardi. who was on the show, but Tom Girardi is the huge plaintiff's counsel who was from um, Aaron Brockovich. And he would do a lot of like the mass torts lawsuits and he was mishandling finances and was not properly paying people out. Um, The lion air lawsuit. And there was that, remember that big PG and E blow up that happened in the Bay area. He handled that. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was, he was mismanaging his money. Thievery. Bad. Big time. Like big, big time.
2: Yeah. I don't know any of the specifics, but I have seen, very famous lawyers who age and become less um, aware, perhaps of of uh, what's happening with their practices, and uh, and and then sometimes there's a cascading effect where you're trying to make up for the mistake with another client but someone else's money, and it, it's it's not a good situation. But I don't, I'm not commenting on his particular yeah. case. So I of don't course know.
0: not. Yeah, you don't know anything. But that it. is what the allegations are: is that it was a snowball effect. Yeah, and he was robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um,
1: but obviously we're not talking about him. We're talking about Terry Dubrow. Um, so let's start talking about some titties and some belly buttons, if you don't mind. (laughs) Um, okay. So let's get into some of Terry Dubrow's lawsuits and the first and really the most iconic one. And the reason why we're all here today is in 2004, allegedly, Terry Dubrow botched a boob job belonging to Nicole Weiss and it started a whole fight and it's really why the season is so great now. Um, but basically what, what Nicole alleged was that Terry Dubrow allegedly botched her boob job and, um, there's really no documents available. So we're not sure how she alleged that the boobs were botched, but, The case ended up being dismissed. And so my question for you, Kelly, is, is it possible that uh, this case was settled without a notice of settlement filed or before it was dismissed? Or could it have been dismissed and and settled and the court has no notice of the settlement?
2: I'm not sure if I'm following you. Did it, if if the case was resolved prior to the filing of a lawsuit, the court would know nothing about it. Oh, they.
0: they no, filed the, person, the they lawsuit. Filed a lawsuit.
2: If a, a lawsuit is filed, you can file a lawsuit, and not serve it. Uh, so there, a, party, a party would not yet be represented officially as far as the court's concerned. Um, if a case is filed uh, and served, and the only way then at that point for the for the court to resolve it is for it to be dismissed. Now, that could be through a trial and a jury verdict and then a dismissal, or it could be um, or a judgment, I should say, not a dismissal, or a case can settle, or the plaintiff can just dismiss it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, if there are discussions between counsel for the physician and any other potential defendants and the plaintiff where they agree to dismiss in exchange for um, a settlement, again, the there's a, you have to be very careful that you're mm-hmm. not trying to settle in such a way that you're settling on behalf of physician added amount that has to be reported to the medical board.
0: Uh, some, yeah. Okay. Some
2: sometimes people have tried to work around with that. For example, if the um if the physician is part of a group, perhaps the group will be will settle without any admission of fault on anyone's behalf. Hmm. But but it's a, but if the medical board digs into that they're gonna say, well, who else here is involved except physician A? So it's 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 always to the benefit of the parties to try to settle it but for the doctor's perspective, he's got he or she has to be very concerned about that uh, disclosure amount. So I don't exactly know what happened in that case, but it, it could very well have been that she felt the person felt it was, quote unquote, botched, but couldn't get an expert who would back up that that was a breach of the standard of care and decided to drop it.
0: So the what's been said on the show is that she basically had the surgery done by Terry DeBrow and then met with an attorney and the attorney is the one that really pushed her into filing the lawsuit. And then as it was going, they eventually decided to dismiss it. And we don't know whether or not there was some type of settlement that was associated with that, but there is something else that's been brought up a lot in the show. And I want your expert opinion on, they keep bringing up Cause there's drama because one of the other women brought this up about Nicole and everyone's just like, how dare you invade her privacy that way and bring this up? It is a violation of her, um, her privacy. This is outrageous. Can you talk a little bit of privacy rights with filing these medical malpractice claims? Like, is there an outright waiver? Is some stuff confidential? Like, is it filed confidentially?
2: First of all, I am no expert, but I'll give you the, my two cents worth, Uh, (laughs) There's there's a uh, an act that was passed in California called shorthand uh, the shorthand's called HIPAA, and HIPAA requires medical providers and facilities to maintain the confidentiality of medical records. It does not apply to a a, a private person. So, for example, if um, a person who brought a who had a medical procedure done and brought a lawsuit as a result and wants to share with his or her friends or family what the circumstances are, he or she is not violating HIPAA. If, on the other hand, um, a television show goes into the hospital and asks the nurse behind the counter or an administrative person to pull the files and start sharing them, that's a big violation of HIPAA. So, um, a lot of right now we're hearing a lot of people say, "I, you can't ask me if I'm vaccinated," for example, because that violates my HIPAA rights. It does not violate mm-hmm. their HIPAA rights.
0: So like in a situation like this, though, where you're filing a lawsuit asserting that, you know, claiming that Terry DeBrow was the one who performed allegedly performed this botched food job. And you have to go into specifics about what happened, you know, is, is that then a waiver of your in submitting, I guess, medical records? Like, is there some type of waiver that happens there?
2: Well, if you bring your medical condition into issue in a civil case, the other party has a right to do discovery to find out what your Mm -hmm. medical history is. There are some limitations we very often will get, not just in medical malpractice, but in other cases, we'll get plans to counsel who'll say, you can look into things about, you know, knees or ankles or hips, issues that are in this case, but we're not going to give you medical records carte blanche that might have gynecological records or or whatever, because it's not relevant and it violates privacy. So there are some limitations, but sure, once you bring your medical claim, your medical history is a uh, fair game for the most part.
0: So when you say there's some limitations, like, can you give an example, I guess, could you give an example of that? Like if somebody comes in with a botched boob job, you're not going to be able to get their medical records related to potential, their mental health history, right? Well,
2: depending I mean, unless on it's how- depending on how extreme they're claiming their emotional distress is from the incident, to mm-hmm. the, to, if they're to the point where they're getting treated for that, then that might be a fair game. But for the most part, you would, yes, if you stay away from mental health issues, things like uh, gynecological records, which are probably not going to be relevant. Um, if she, you know, this person happened to have been in traction from a car accident 10 years mm-hmm. before. Uh, but, you know, discovery is broad. Uh, so yeah. you, you, there are people do fight over it, but uh
0: there was there was this is a brief segue for another issue that we dealt with um in the housewife's world there was a lawsuit a defamation lawsuit one of the women brought against another for allegations of having a smelly vagina <laughs> and there was there was discovery where they wanted access to the gyno log, the gyno reports and her gyno records and they were saying this is ridiculous like this is this is such an invasion of my privacy, but in a case like that, it wouldn't be right. I mean, I know it's not a medical malpractice case, but it's a defamation case where, you know, you're bringing up somebody's medical.
2: All I can say in that brief um, overview (laughs) of the situation (laughs) is that 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 kind of a comment is almost certainly not anything that someone would anticipate uh, anyone would accept or assume that you're being truthful. I mean, it sounds like a joke or satire or an insult, Uh, We know that um, we know that truth is a defense to slander or defamation, which is probably why they think they're justified in checking whether it is in fact true based Uh. on the gynecological record. (laughs) But I I could see a judge absolutely refusing to give those records in a case like that if there was a motion to um, for protection. We
0: covered we covered this already on a previous episode. And I can't remember, Lauren, how did it. Was it resolved? Yeah, um what's her name? Uh,
1: Brandy just said a public apology. And, oh,
0: that's right. Yeah. That's and right. it the was like that's... all this
1: statement about like, oh my gosh, like, no, it was fake. Like her she's a girl
2: with
0: the stinky Yeah. Okay, by, right.
2: By the way, I was just gonna mention the, the, the prior incident you mentioned about how uh this person got a lawyer who insisted that she file a lawsuit. Do uh-huh. keep in mind that in medical malpractice cases, you have one year from the time that you even suspect a breach of the of applicable standard of care to bring a lawsuit on a normal uh, civil uh, action for negligence is two years. So you have to jump on these. You can't sit on them.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think that what, um, I guess it's hard to spec. I don't want you to speculate because we don't really have any of the facts in front of us, but I was going to say if whether or not you thought it would be improper for an attorney really to be the one that's insisting on on filing a case and where there's some hesitation from the plaintiff or in this case, the victim or
2: well i would say again is if the if you come to a lawyer and the lawyer says well you only have 6 days to make your decision because the statute's going to run you might be better off filing it preserving your right then we yeah. look into it and if there's nothing there you can dismiss it and hopefully you get the other <laughs> side to waive costs so you don't you're not out of pocket
0: well we're going to give nicole Weiss the benefit of the doubt in this case and i think she probably did the right thing by dismissing it
1: Okay, so we're wrapping up with Nicole Weeze and her boob job. Um, and then next is in 2010, a woman named June um sued Harry. I mean Harry. Who's Harry? Oh my God, who's Harry? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Dubrow, um for some <laughs> sort of malpractice. We're not sure exactly which surgery she had or was botched or whatever, because there was just no record filed of it. But what I found interesting was in this case. June's husband joined in, and June's husband also sued Terry Dubrow, but for loss of consortium. And I had never really heard of that. So is so from my understanding, that's like the loss of like a marital relationship due to whatever sur- the surgery that was botched, I guess caused. So my question is like. How do you prove a loss of consortium and, like, what's the damages? Because it's not like you, a, a judge can say, okay, go reheal your relationship, right?
2: So we see loss of consortium claims pretty regularly. Uh, the idea is that due to the um, alleged negligence of the defendant, an injury has been suffered by the spouse. Such that it has interfered with the care comfort and society that the injured spouse is providing to the uh, loss of consortium plaintiff spouse, um, obviously the big component of that is going to be sexual relations mm-hmm. and, in, and I'll tell you in my career of twenty eight years, I have only ever heard one answer to this question the question there's a what we call a loss of consortium series of interrogatories we'll ask. Um, And one of them will be okay. Prior to the injury, how often were Mm -hmm. you engaging in marital relations with your spouse? And the answer is never been anything other than this three times a week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So everyone just says that
2: everyone, I don't care how old they are, what kind of physical condition they're in. It's always three times a week.
1: That is Uh, so funny.
2: And I'll say that in, in my, in my experience, lost consortium claims are have very little value because in your trial, you get the, let's say it's the wife who was injured and the husband's got the consortium claim. And you'll ask, you know, didn't you take a a vow on your wedding day for in sickness and in health? Yeah. Don't you still love your wife? Yes. Don't you still enjoy spending time with her? Yes. I mean, in other words, it's, 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 it most jurors will, will kind of expect the, the the spouse to kind of suck it up, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think they have much value, but that's, basically why they're doing it that, that, you know, my wife or my husband can no longer, not only setting up out outside the bedroom, but, you know, they can't,
1: um, Cook for me.
2: well, not, not services necessarily, but just mm-hmm. the care, the comfort, the society that one had previously expected mm-hmm. can't be provided in the same way anymore.
0: Well, and I feel like a lot of jurors too, when the wife or husband get up on the stand and they sit there and when you ask them how many times they have sexy time a week, or how many times they have sexy time during the week. And they say three times, I bet every juror, especially when they're older, are rolling their, rolling eyes, their they know eyes. It's just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're all people. <laughs> so how successful are those though? For, I guess in terms of being, uh, receiving some type of monetary amount for loss of consortium.
2: Again, in my limited experience, I've, they're often dismissed. If, if they go all the way to the jury, um, they either get a, a small amount I've never seen one get more than like ten thousand dollars, for example. It's just mm-hmm. not. It's just not something you're gonna you're gonna score on. And it's all general damages, of course. Now they don't have the micro limitation necessarily, but uh-huh. well, that's not true. I'll, well, it's it. it we'll get into all that, but it, it's <laughs> it, it's it's just like it's it's almost like a parasitic claim. Like you're glomming on to the injured person yeah. because you're not getting the attention that you want. It it, it, mm-hmm. it it comes across as kind of a little self-absorbed and a little selfish.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like in sickness and in health and like this person's sick. So buck up and it's your turn to take care of them.
0: Well, and you would assume, I guess, that you would have a, uh, there would be a higher percentage of being successful with a loss of consortium claim if you were younger and the relationship was newer than being older. Right. Can well, you again, have a, it, articulate a stronger argument?
2: It really depends on what you're claiming the injury to you is like, for example, if, if I can't have
0: sex anymore. That,
2: <laughs> then, yeah. You would expect that maybe a younger, more, um,
1: Nimble.
0: you know,
2: act active, active couple might claim that particularly one that's look that's trying to have more children, but an older couple, you can, I'm not saying older couples can't still enjoy that, but you're likely more likely to to score in that type of claim. If you're saying, you know, my wife, she can't concentrate anymore. We don't talk anymore, but oh, she's distant.
0: Sad. Yeah.
2: She's distant. Mm-hmm. She's in so much pain that, you know, she doesn't want even, you know, I can't even hug her or things like that. You, you want to get out of the, the, the raunchy stuff and, and make it a little yeah. Bit, mm, the the emotional. Hallmark. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. And our you, minds are so dirty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: like that. <laughs> I just think all,
0: everyone here can relate that they've been annoyed with their significant other at one point. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I will, I will move-
2: say that I had a I, I did have a loss consortium claim that was quite uh, strong because this was a a woman who had a um, gynecological procedure done allegedly um, was botched for lack of a better term and uh, her uh, vagina had to be sewed shut. <gasps> <Please. laughs> and she actually had to have um, she had to have a a. a, a, a basically a tube installed for, to be able to urinate.
1: That is horrible.
2: And she had to, she came to her her deposition with all the Tupperware things she uses to clean and, and, and process all that. So yeah, and, and she was well yeah yeah talk
0: about lack of a better word
2: <laughs> and uh you know and she was maybe 40 oh so, that's horrible yeah. oh,
0: that's so sad her, her husband
2: her husband had something to talk about next
0: oh but. yeah yeah, oh, yeah. well wow well, well,
1: wasn't see didn't expect that i didn't either that was a sniper from the side
0: i love it <laughs> yeah hit me right in the <laughs> temple Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now moving on, we have another lawsuit from Leah G in 2011. She sued for medical malpractice and she claimed general negligence, medical, uh, professional negligence. She sought damages for loss of wages, hospital medical expenses, and a loss of earning capacity. This matter was eventually dismissed without prejudice. And one of the reasons why this one was dismissed was because Mr. Dubrow has a history of including, Uh, confidential arbitration clauses in his contract when his patients sign that, um, when they sign up for the surgery. So is that common, um, to have an arbitration Mm -hmm. agreement associated with a medical, some type of medical service?
2: I don't see it very often because, uh, the treatment that, uh, we, we see in our hospitals aren't as, aren't as elective as what he's doing. Uh I wouldn't be surprised though, for someone like a, a plastic surgeon, particularly who's dealing with, um, uh, patients who may have some notoriety would want to be able to get them into a confidential resolution process, particularly, again, uh, a, a resolution and arbitration that results in a settlement and payment of money on behalf of doctors should still be reported if it's above the threshold amount. But at least you're not, you can't just go to the court docket and look up that person's name and find mm-hmm. all these cases filed.
0: Well, it's interesting that you said to have a patient of some type of public notoriety, because in this situation, we have this, the doctor who's the public figure and most of the patients are just, you know, normal Joe's your normal Joe. That's going in to get the Jane, lifted. I guess. Yeah. To get their titties lifted. So, mm-hmm. okay. You guys drum roll, please. Because this is the big one. This is the one that we're waiting for. This is the burnt belly button, the burnt, this belly button oh, no. straight up gone. <laughs> yeah. the belly button ain't there anymore. (laughs) So in 2012, Daniel, Danielle W filed a lawsuit against, well, this incident occurred. I think she ended up filing in like 2018 or 2016, but so she had a baby and after she had the baby, she suffered some type of hernia and had suffered some type of complication related to a prior breast augmentation. So, and she claimed that this breast augmentation from this other doctor was causing some type of discomfort and was impacting her life. Let me find the language. Kelly, you might know what this is. It was a secondary. So the plaintiff had a prior breast augmentation in 2002 was secondary to rupture. What does that mean? I suspect you
2: know? that means that, that one of the implants ruptured.
0: And then the patient in 2009 underwent removal and replacement with, the silico- with silicone in 2009. And then, um, in 2009, she developed a grade four capsular contracture on the right breast with extreme hardening. That sounds awful. And then that, so with, when she went and saw Terry, she was going to do it. She was going to have a capsulectomy of the right breast. Do you know what that means?
2: Not specifically, but I suspect that inside the breast tissue, um, there's a hardening and tightening of uh, the tissue around the implant and the 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 procedure would be to release that or to remove it.
0: Well, and I will tell you there are unfortunately photos attached to the exhibits mm-hmm. in this case. And so you can see those rock hard titties because let me tell you, they were hard and they were pointing in all different types of directions. Oh my God, this poor woman. I mean, this poor woman. That was not, those breasts were not done by Terry. No. Because... So she
1: came because she was botched. Exactly. And she went to Terry to be like, fix my herniated belly
0: button. fix
1: and My give me some
0: new titties. Uh-huh. Give me some soft supple titties. So <laughs> she went in and she went to Terry and what Terry was going to do was perform this laser procedure on her belly button and then do the breast capsulectomy that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So after the procedure, Daniel's, Danielle's breasts look fabulous. I saw the pictures. They were like, he did a great, beautiful, job. Beautiful, 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 spectacular. Right. Yeah. But when you look down, mm. her belly button was gone. Gone and so gone. gone gone. It was no longer there. So according to the complaint, Danielle alleged that Terry Debrou referenced that he had performed a mini ab- abdomoplasty on his wife and presented that represented to that the plaintiff that she would have the same one that was done to the, to Heather Debro, who is our main character in this real housewives of Orange County. Mm-hmm. But in her deposition and reading through the transcripts, she said that allegedly her belly button disappeared after the surgery because Terry took the stock out, which made me gag reading that. I know and, I can't. And Dubrow said he would, because she obviously was frustrated that she no longer had a belly button. So she went back to him and wanted to get kind of his advice. And this is, this is a summary of what the conversation was. I don't know if he directly said this, but DeBro had alluded to the fact that he could attach a new belly button, but there was a risk that since he took out the stock, the blood would it flow to her belly button and it would basically just be a bed, a dead belly button.
1: Like as opposed to what though, because my <laughs> belly button doesn't
0: do shit. Yeah. Is your belly button. I guess it's living because the blood flow it's an organ. It's Ugh. a tap, you know, but I guess our question to you is with these, with these plastic surgery cases, can somebody just simply sue and be, I guess, successful in a men mal case against the doctor because they don't like the way that they look like, what is the difference? Is it a subjective standard or an objective standard?
2: So again, it's not whether how the patient looks it's whether you can get an expert who can state to a reasonable degree of medical probability that the physician did not meet the standard of care applicable to that type of physician in the particular setting. For example, there may be circumstances where um, because of the nature of the herniation, uh, such so much tissue has to be removed that... Um, that might include the the location of the of the hernia itself, which is not uncommon in that area of the abdomen, apparently. Uh, and no one could have done any better. On the other hand, you yeah. can make an expert say, "No, he should have perhaps inc- did kept incision, the belly button alive." Did an incision maybe two inches below that and and did the procedure so that wouldn't impact the belly. But uh, it really it, so it's not necessarily objective or subjective. Obviously, the person's. Um, lack of satisfaction will relate to their uh, micro damages. But the Mm -hmm. the real real question is, was the procedure itself not done properly?
0: Okay, and I think this was another case where it was dismissed and they went to arbitration Mm -hmm. on it.
1: Everything here that we're talking about has been settled except for the 2018 or I'm sorry, the 2020 2020 stuff, which we haven't gotten to yet.
0: The next one, Lauren, do you want to take it on? Because this is another doozy. This one is a doozy.
1: So in 2018, a woman named Tina claimed to have suffered from a botched boob job um, at the hands of one Dr. Dubrow, allegedly. And Tina claims that she suffered wage loss, that she incurred hospital and medical expenses, She asked for general damages, loss of earning capacity, physical and psychological damages, compensatory damages, you know, all that. And then Terry filed a cross complaint against Tina. Wow. Citing a breach of contract and an intentional infliction of emotional distress. And the doctor, Terry Dubrow, um, said that. Tina understood prior to receiving any medical care and treatment that even an uh, unsubstantiated but public claim about the medical standard of uh, Dr. Dubrow's surgery would cause like an irreparable harm to Terry's medical career, like for her to go out and say, oh, he botched my boobs that would cause his um, medical career to suffer. And so. He's claiming that all of this like violated the arbitration agreement, gave him emotional
0: distress. Um, well, and then he also throws plaintiff under the bus in this case because he says, Whoa, 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 like when you came to me, you had previously undergone 10 different breast augmentations, which left you with lopsided titties. And I think she was suffering from some type of chronic back pain and was having asymmetrical kind of disfiguration with her breasts and another thing was is so Terry Debro is based in Newport Beach but he gets a lot of these people that are flying from out of state to come in and get surgeries done and so he has a consent form that they have to sign that says hey look like follow-up care is probably going to be since you live out of state you're probably going to have to then seek follow-up care from a different physician and so he said after the after she had gotten the her breast augmentation there were no, no complications nothing but afterwards she had developed a some type of an infection but she developed that after she had left Newport and flew home and when she got there she was treated by another physician and that physician is when that's where she developed the infection and so he basically was like look it falls on you it has nothing to do with me and This is interesting because she uh, Dubrow brings up the statute of limitations because she had the surgery was in 2016, but then she started looping in her legal team in April of 2017, which you said it's a one-year statute of limitations, right? Right.
2: From the date that you know or reasonably should suspect that there was a breach of standard of care. So it's not necessarily the day of the surgery. If, If you don't realize you've got a problem for six months, then it extends to six months. Yeah.
0: So anyway, so at this point in April of 2017, she's aware that something's going on. She's looping in the legal team. She's emailing Dubrow. Dubrow's aware that she's kind of spiraling, but she doesn't file the lawsuit until December of 2018. So that would fall outside of the this, this statute of limitations, correct?
2: It sounds like that's going to be a problem unless unless there's a non-obvious medical condition that was only discovered after subsequent treatment. Like, For example, uh, let's just assume something hypothetical like uh, um, a person has surgery, recovers from the surgery down the road, they have um, pain. They don't really know where it's from. The doctors don't know where it's from. It's a year later where somebody goes in and, and, and explores and finds a retained uh, object.
0: Mm-hmm. from the from the
2: prior surgery that's the first time you knew or had reasons to, to suspect something so with plastic surgeon surgery one would assume you would know or suspect things pretty pretty quickly so i don't know why it would still be timely after what sounds like almost two yeah years.
0: okay yeah. well and this case was dismissed without prejudice i'm assuming she probably got nada because i thought terry DeBro came back with a very very strong response um and then there were a couple other malpractice claims that were brought against And so one of the most recent ones is the bad botched butt lift, which happened mm-hmm. in 2020. We don't really know anything about it besides the fact that the plaintiff sued in both Texas court and federal court. Mm-hmm. And Terry then filed a, was it a motion for a change of venue to California? Uh, yeah. And to like stay everything and just
1: do arbitration in California pursuant to their agreement
0: their confidential arbitration agreement. So. Yeah, So
1: But then her attorney, that lady, Sandy, her attorney, Stephen was out talking to TMZ and page six and was saying that um, Terry Dubrow allegedly left tools in Sandy and that he rushed to finish her surgery to go on TV and that Sandy nearly died and that Dr. Dubrow released all this medical information to the media. So Terry Dubrow sued sandy's attorney for defamation which is in progress right now it's like stay tuned
0: tbd on that (laughs) that actually sounds interesting
1: yeah so that's terry dubrow's medical
0: thing but we have questions about like just other things we have questions that were submitted by some of our followers and i hope that you have i know we're this is running a little bit long let's pick like three yeah so you can pick one lauren go
1: ahead Okay, let's see. Um, how typical is it for a, a doctor to have medical malpractice lawsuits against them? Like, Is this something that every doctor kind of goes through every couple of years or is it really like a, whoa, why, are, why is this person getting sued so many times?
2: It really depends on the type of practice you have. If you're in a, an emergency room setting, it's mm-hmm. probably more common than if you have a family practice. Mm-hmm. If you're doing surgeries, particularly challenging ones, you're more likely to have outcomes that patients aren't satisfied with, and they will they will be sued. So neurosurgeons probably deal with uh, lawsuits pretty regularly. Emergency physicians as well, but um, the family physician who who you know gives you antibiotics not not so often. Some may go their whole careers without ever being sued.
1: Mm, okay, interesting. And <laughs> did you have you represented a plastic surgeons
2: ever. We have a matter right now. I personally have not gotten into it. I have some understanding that there was a, an allegation or a series of allegations that a physician um, had a nurse working in his practice who was doing procedures kind of off the books, including uh, cement in the cheeks or whatever. And he's been wait, seen, wait, wait,
1: or whatever. I mean, I don't know
2: the specifics, but but <laughs> doing that's... classic surgery type procedures off the books, but he uh, was, they were alleging that he knew something about and was pre- doing uh, writing scripts for these, p- these people, but I don't know more than that. It's,
0: where like, do people get off. Like, how do you think that that's going to go well? Because this isn't the first time I've heard that I've, there's no, been I'm, terrible stories out of like tires. Her, yeah. Like, Remember the tire fluid or the tire, the instant flat tire fixer. People mm-hmm. were putting that in people's cheeks and their butts and their boobs. Um, yeah, okay. I, so oh, I want ahead. to
2: say this had something to do with Botox, but again, I, um, it's a relatively new file here and I haven't had a chance to get into it.
0: Wow. Well, that's a pretty crazy story. Do you have any other ridiculous stories that you've heard? Like something that really shocks the conscious that you remember in terms of men now
2: in terms of the, the treatment provided. Yeah. Uh, well, we've had, well, yeah, we had a case where a, um, a patient was um, in dire need of uh, neurosurgery and the, there was a neurosurgeon on call at the hospital, but she, the surgeon um refused to come in because she said she was sick <gasps> and she was too sick to perform, you know, the necessary procedure. So the patient had to be transported out of the area, which took too much time. And by the time the patient got to another facility, there was uh, uh, nothing that could be done. And, you know, the thought was, you know, it's okay if you, if you sneeze on the patient, as long as you save, save their life.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess so.
2: But, uh, you know, she was, she was, she, the doctor claimed that she was, you know, vomiting and couldn't crawl to her car and it was just so, so sick, but God, that's um, horrible. yeah, that was, that was a bizarre one for sure.
0: That, uh-huh.
2: and, I, and then I had another one um, where it, it, it was a, 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 it was a small claims action against a nurse oh. by, by a fellow who claimed that after a surgical procedure, um, he couldn't urinate, so the order was given to do a, uh, a catheter. And so the nurse inserted the catheter, and according to the charting, everything was fine. There was nothing unusual. She might have used some lidocaine, which might indicate that he was sensitive. I remember this? And I, of course, would be equally sensitive. I'm sure. Oh
1: yeah. And then,
2: and then years later, the this fellow was, uh, is in the hospital because his wife is having a procedure and sees this nurse down the hall has a PTSD flashback, starts chasing after her. No. And uh, is absolutely hellbent on suing her and, and the hospital. It was and bad. In small claims. And uh, this poor nurse didn't even remember him. But mm-hmm, we, had, right. we, had, we had to walk her through the whole small claims process. And it was a little more dramatic than it needed to be. But uh, we, she prevailed. But
0: uh, it, And she was the sweetest woman.
2: Yeah. That was wow. a weird
0: one. that was that was a wild one.
2: We nurses. Oh sorry. I was just gonna say we, we had another one that was really an unfortunate case because oh. um, a young woman was found um, by her boyfriend as, when he came home from work sleeping, which was a little unusual for the time of day. And um, when he couldn't rouse her, he called mm-hmm. the sister who had lived in the same apartment complex, and they called nine one one was telling everyone that she has seizure disorder. she must have had a seizure. And so they took her to the hospital in the ambulance. And in the ambulance, she was given um, medication, anti-seizure medication, which uh, knocked her out. Mm -hmm. So she was in the emergency room for several hours before she started showing signs that she actually had a um, unusual form of stroke. And uh, it was a very severe stroke. And so now she's going to be one of these individuals who's unfortunately in a facility where she'll need 24 hour care. Oh my gosh. Um, But, but the, the fact is that you just couldn't do Well, the allegation by the physicians and the nurse who I represent essentially is that you couldn't do a neurological evaluation with somebody who's, who's asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. there's just no way to determine what was really going on until the amount of time went by that you couldn't do the anti, um, anti, uh, stroke protocols. So it you was know, a really unfortunate one.
0: This has bad. taught me that I'm so grateful that I did not go to medical school. I mean, I literally flunked out of nursing
1: school. I was in (laughs) nursing school for two years and I just kept failing. So God bless all of these doctors and nurses. Like, I don't know how they do it. And yet people make mistakes and there's horrible, very unfortunate, terrible, tragic things that happen. Like all the things we talked about today, but I really do think that almost every doctor and I would probably put like 99% on this, like genuinely cares about their patients and is really in the business to help people and to serve people. And unfortunate things happen sometimes.
0: Yeah. And I think Terry DeBrow was one of those. I think he's a really good doctor. I think he just is sometimes the victim of med mal cases because of his celebrity status. And like you said, mistakes happen, but Mm -hmm. we'll never mm -hmm. know. And we're never know, never know. And we just want to, I don't want to, We just want to thank Kelly for being here. And before we wrap up, we do a criminal behavior every week where we talk about something that's happened that people should really probably be doing. Yeah. Well, stop doing and likely be arrested for like, for example, my criminal behavior this week is I paid a lot of money to go get a massage and a facial. And it was supposed to be an hour facial hour massage, but they do this thing now where it's only 45 minutes. Cause I guess the clock starts the moment you get into the room. It's not 60 minute hands-on body massaging. It was 45 minutes and I was so livid. What? And it was, so you paid it, to unchange for 15 minutes. So I know, and I paid to wait for the esthetician to bring in the facial creams and everything. So I sat there for 10 minutes on the table and she didn't, it didn't start until 10, 15.
1: Oh my God, that is criminal. She should be arrested. She should that be arrested. That is insane.
0: That is insane. Kelly, <laughs> uh, do you have one that you can think of? Because we can have Lauren go as you're thinking.
2: Behavior that uh, is
0: uh, it could be a, uh,
2: un- unhappy, mm-hmm. but
0: blasphemous. It could be like your whenever you go to a drive-through to get. You know, some fast food, and the lady doesn't put enough ice in your cup. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or the soda fountains are flat. It could be anything. <laughs> it could be anything.
2: Well, I guess I think there are already rules on the books for this, but what I find uh, increasingly frustrating are the people who will pull up to a light and immediately whip their phones out, even if the light's going to turn green in two seconds. And oh, and and I I am not a person who likes to honk horns because I, I think it's overused so i'll instead i'll rage against them silently in the, in the car <laughs> behind them which of course if they were paying any attention they'd already have gone so that's useless but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I wish they they had the camera system where if the light turns green and they take a picture of you and there's a phone in front of you, they should send you a ticket.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is some serious criminal behavior. Put your (laughs) fucking phones away, bitches, now. (laughs)
0: Kelly's going to be on the steps of the legislature trying to pass a bill. (laughs) That's right. right.
1: Phones down. Phones down. Okay, Lauren, what's yours? Okay, mine is the fact that we. I mean, I'm sure all of us here have gotten a passport photo taken for some reason or another. And my criminal behavior is the fact that we take these like incredibly important government identifying photos, like in CVS in like, (laughs) I took mine, the guy literally pulled down a screen in front of a freezer and, um, took my photos. So I think my criminal behavior is using inappropriate places like Costco and CBS to take our
0: passport photos. I don't get it's it. Odd. It's odd that you just don't do it at the DMV and they just right? don't use your license. But I guess it has to be representative of what you look like. At yeah, that time, but it's but. like
1: really the guy at the seven hour photo is going to like <laughs> do a good job. I don't know. I mean, God bless him, but I don't know. So I, that's I, my criminal behavior.
2: I will say that I went to Costco a month or so ago, and I had to go to the um, membership desk, and they asked me, oh, you've got a really old photo on your card? Do you want a new one? I thought, okay. And, yeah, they took one, and I almost asked for my old picture back. (laughs) So rude. Not not only... As as a teacher once said to me in a at a during during a test in college when he had to check IDs make sure you weren't having someone else uh, take your test for it, he, he, I handed him my student ID and he said that's a that's a horrible picture but a good likeness
1: oh <laughs> that's horrible that's <laughs> a ask. shady 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 man <laughs> maybe we can <sighs> have him on the podcast <laughs> oh Kelly. <laughs> Well, oh, thank Kelly. you so much, Kelly, for being here and for taking the time out of your busy schedule and truly, truly, truly doing the Lord's work for us Bravo fans and breaking down these incredibly difficult, complex, insane matters. Thank you so
0: much. Um, you're and- very welcome. Wait, the most important question. Do you think that you're going to watch Housewives now? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right well we tried <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> he's like no the nipples are crooked absolutely not um okay so follow us on instagram and twitter at allegedly bravo check out our website www.allegedlybravo.com check out our etsy store for some merch and also don't forget this is available to you um what's it called? Advertisement free on Uh Patreon for three bucks a month. Go check out our Patreon. We have a bunch of different levels and shout out to our VIP patrons at classic sky tops. Go give our Instagram a follow. It's such a good time. Our friend, Wendy, Beth, CK and Mr. or Mrs. Smith. And I think we'll see you guys next year.
0: I know that's wild because we are going to take some time off for the holidays And in that time, we are planning some fun stuff for the new year. So I hope you all have a wonderful, happy holidays. Stay safe. Enjoy time with your friends and family. And we will see you later. Bye. Bye.